Okay, looks like we are live. Welcome to another ARCS chat. My name is Robin Bauer-Kilgo. I'm the Association Manager for ARCS. I'm going to give you two bits of quick information, and then we're going to hand it over to the folks having the chat today. Um, we are, ARCS is planning on putting on a conference in November of 2021. We are accepting submissions for proposals. The conference uh, theme is evolution. The conference itself is going to be a hybrid conference. It's in the planning stages right now. There will be an online component and also an in-person component in Montreal, Canada, November 10th through 12th, I believe in 2021. But the important thing is get your proposals in now, even if you can only plan on presenting virtually. That's great. We want to see those proposals. Go to our website, arcsinfo.org. Look for the conference tab. Go ahead and see what we're looking for. We're excited to see what everyone wants to present on this year. Another bit of information, we are currently looking for board nominations for the ARCS Board of Directors. Those are due by February 26th. Um, again, go to our website. You'll find out more information. Self-nominations are encouraged. We're also encouraging BIPOC. So please go ahead and do all the fun stuff that you want to do to join our team. We'd be excited to have you. Um, one quick note about our streaming platform. There is a slight delay before we're on Zoom and it goes out to YouTube. So I will be keeping an eye on the chat the entire time. So if you have a question for our group, put it there. I will make sure to keep track of it. Um, but there might be a slight delay between when we say, when you actually put it in and we can answer it. And with that do, I'm gonna go ahead and hand the mic over to John Robinette. Hello, everybody. Welcome to February ARCS Chat. I'm coming to you from sunny and snowy New York, where we just got uh, 20 inches of snow, so that's pretty fun. Um, and so after, before this, I was uh, building an igloo, so now um, I have to re focus game face so uh i want to start out by wishing everybody well i hope everyone's safe and healthy at this moment i know we're uh, still continuing to have some very trying times so um i am just so grateful for everybody to who continues to tune in and um you know and our community that we have that's supporting each other through uh these uh, challenging times so with that, um, <clears throat> I wanted to refresh everybody's memory. Uh, the, the discussion tonight is about the continued collaboration between our installation professionals and the registration professionals. So with us to discuss all of that, uh, we have, of course, our co-host, Amanda Robinson from Museum of Fine Arts, St. Petersburg. Got it. <laughs> so, and then um, from pack in we have jerry smith uh tell us title and pack in and everything what is it jerry? yeah yeah i'm a senior collections management technician at the uh, los angeles county museum of art and i'm the uh, programs chair at pack in and i and host of the pack in chats uh podcast webcast thing great and julia Hi, everyone. I'm Julia Latine. I am the head of art preparation and installation at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and also on the advisory board for PACN. Kelly? I am Kelly Bennett. I'm the founder of ArtProNet, and I am the new head of collections at the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. Fantastic. Thank you so much. If you don't know anything about uh, Pack and Chats or ArtProNet, uh, both of them are great platforms for information uh, about the profession in general, but more guided towards the installation. Um, and uh, Pack and Chats you can find on the packin.org website, right? And ArtProNet is artpronet.com? ArtProNet.com, and we're on pretty much every streaming platform. So iTunes, um, Himalayan, all those guys. Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a really great one. Um, and uh, Kelly's got some really great insights on on uh, installation in general, but also about our current environment. So uh, definitely tune into that. Um, so with that in mind, I do want to talk about our current environment and uh, sort of the hot button issue of the last year essentially has been um, couriers and virtual installations and such. And I wanna start out the conversation with uh, the discussion about virtual installations and try and get the uh, installer's perspective on things. Uh, Julia, what's, uh, what's your stance on virtual installs and uh, sort of highlight uh, your, a little bit of your experience with it? Sure. Um, for us as art handlers, they're not virtual at all. They're very much real. We're in the galleries or in warehouse spaces working with art. So um, I would say for 
for the PACM community, for, for those of us who physically install and move and pack artwork, the last year has really been about figuring out how to do that safely, given that you know, one of the biggest parameters for um, safety during COVID is maintaining six feet of distance between people. And that's the one thing that we have a really hard time doing um, as art handlers. We often work in pairs or teams and work in close proximity for, um, for you know, minutes, hours, uh, sometimes all day. And so uh, something that we have worked really hard on, and actually you can find a great video on Packin that was um, done as LACMA chats, which was the, the first version of Packin chats, was a conversation between Kevin Marshall uh, at the Getty and Joshua Rosenblatt at the Whitney and me about how we were going to return to work safely as art handlers. So we talk a lot about um, the different measures that we've put in place. So I think that, you know, getting to the subject of collaboration um, at our institution at LACMA, we worked the registrars, the art preparation and installation team, collections managers, um, collaborated really closely with our human resources department and our facilities department to come up with, to build off of the protocols that the institution put in place for all staff. Um, we just refined those and added specific steps for keeping our art handling staff safe that included things like assigning tools to, you know, first of all, assigning buddies so that you're only ever working really closely with one other person and having teams that stay isolated from each other and then a lot of other measures to keep folks safe while handling our work. Gotcha. Um, is, uh, is that something uh, you've also experienced, uh, Kelly? Is that, uh, are those protocols that you are putting in place as well? Yeah, we've, um, before I worked at Lucas, I worked at the Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive, and we built a plan there that's very similar to what you're describing. It's it's basically down to the minutia of what we think we'll be doing and how we can keep each other safe. Um, I will say that the installation part of that plan hasn't been put into action too strong, just because uh, we haven't reopened or the Berkeley Art Museum hasn't reopened. Um, it's it's mainly been in collections care with the same staff. So that's been a little bit safer probably um, because it's it's really just been, you know, one registrar and a few prep staff members being able to work with each other and isolate from, from everybody else. We're not dealing with quite as many people coming in, but, but yeah, it's, I think it's an important thing for everybody to put into place to build expectations. And it's also something that helps people understand that, uh, that you are thinking through those points and, you know, build out trust with like HR departments and everybody who's worried about taking on the ownership and the responsibility of having people back in the space. So I'm hoping uh, we've written one for Lucas and I'm hoping we can, we can get going with it soon. Um, but it's, it's fairly, I, I enjoy writing them and thinking through the processes too, because uh, I, I think it's just vital that we all figure out how to work with each other. And, and it's not a bad thing to sit down and think through the steps of how you're doing stuff so that, you know, it, it actually kind of helps fine tune some of the processes you already have. Right. And uh, so y'all are in a an interesting moment because California really hasn't opened up their museums at all. They never really reopened. Is that correct? Did any, did anyone, any institutions out there do it or was it just a state mandate? No, I think I thought that some institutions, it depends on what County you're in, I believe. Okay. So Los Angeles County um, indoor museums never have not reopened since we closed in March. Right. However, we have still, you know, we have had some exhibitions that we continued to work on, um, especially those that were indemnified and needed to, we need to finish installing or we needed to deinstall um, and things that needed to travel to other places or things that had loans that needed to come down and be returned. 
Have you had to do some uh, installs or deinstalls via video chat? Yeah. 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 We. Um, yes, we have had quite a few installs and deinstalls where there has been a virtual career and. Um, you know, I personally haven't been handling those objects in the camera, but I have, you know, the funniest one for me was a virtual courier from a museum across town that someone that I had worked with before. So it was like, we're in the same city, but we're even so you're doing it um, remotely. But yeah, I think it's the most burdensome on the registrar or whoever it is that's holding the tablet and trying to capture all of the all of the movements that are happening um, for the art handlers. Like I said, it's still, you're still doing your job. It's right. it's the uh, same job, right. just different, different because of all the masks and face shields and not being able to hear each other as well and stuff like that. Is, is there anything that um, you would want to tell our, our, registrar audience to sort of better that that uh, dynamic in in the install um you know maybe you know don't put the ipad right in front of my face or you know <laughs> whatever whatever the case is like is there is there something that that we should be aware of while trying to manage uh a, an install that would that would make your life easier from from an install point of view that's a really good question but i think that it's really for all of us the thing that we need to remember um, just, we need to be extra. Well, I think we, uh, Julia froze. Uh, Jerry, do you want to, do you want to try and finish a sentence? Do you, do you know her that well? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I, I believe I could say that she's, that we need to have a lot of patience for, um, you know, uh, moving through these spaces and, and, and having patience with each other. Um, I don't personally install patient with each other and, you know, the team needs to take. Sorry, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Action is really unstable today. I was just saying that, um, that we just need to be extra tolerant and patient with everyone given yeah. the circumstances and allow for more breaks um, more breaks for the art handling team that are all masked up. It's hot and uncomfortable and stressful. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so just a, a, br a brief, uh, pause to say, uh, everyone out there listening, please, uh, you know, send us your questions in the YouTube live chat and, uh, we'll be starting to answer some of those. Uh, if you are listening, just, uh, sign into your Google or Gmail account in order to participate in that chat. So we did have one question, um, from the live chat and this is kind of directed at everybody. So just jump in. Um, are there any communication tools for the chat scheduling that have, um, chat slash scheduling that have been useful for planning installs when staff is only half on site? Anyone have any experience with that? Useful for planning installs is in, in managing timelines and that sort of thing, or? I guess so. Um, <laughs> I mean, I will say one of the things that worked really well for me as far as is being, uh, doing, working on a virtual install is the people that I was working with had me on several different devices. So um, one of the things, I, I was honored that I got to be on a laptop on the Fest tool, as, as I know all installers value their <laughs> fancy tools but i uh, i was on a laptop and they had me on an iphone so um it was i would say one tool um this might not be exactly the question but one tool that really helped me was having multiple perspectives on the space that i was in because i think that's one of the things that's really difficult in fact there was there's been some loans that i've participated in be, that were just too complicated to try to install without physically being in the space and so we you know didn't go forward with them but they're having multiple perspectives on the space is really important so i would say one thing that helped just technically was having one kind of overall view of the room and one camera that can be moved around. So when you're looking at the object, when you're putting it in the space, you can get kind of perspective on different things. 
also it was kind of nice because I felt like I was there <laughs> a little bit um, and working with the curator and that sort of thing. Uh, so just a tip. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great one. If uh, if you can have a, a two uh, points of view, that would be a huge advantage. You can see the context of the room and the context of the piece in the room, as well as you know getting the the details that you need in order to complete the install. So, anyone else want to chime in? All right. Well, um, actually, John, yeah. sorry. I Go ahead. I was confusing myself about which mute to unmute, but um, I, I would like to say that, you know, we've all learned so much more about technology, about the virtual, you know, Zoom technology and Google Meet. And so one of the things that we've been using in our team meetings with art preparation and installation is like the whiteboard feature, which is a new thing. Um, and I just think that whereas my team at the beginning of the, um, at the beginning of last year, the art prep team had for the first time split into two locations. And so our Friday morning, like full team meetings were virtual for like, we were, we were both each team was in a conference room and dialing into each other. Um, and I remember how anxious we all were about that separation and, and how stressful it was to, um, to have that new technology be part of the meeting. And now it's like the whole team is super comfortable on this technology. And um, I just, I think it's changing our profession forever. Even, even the conference, the way that we do conferences and the way that we share information, um, the pack and chat came specifically out of the pandemic. And when one of the preps at LACMA, Matt Driggs, uh, wanted to use that time when we were all at home to connect art handlers and museum professionals with each other across the com across the country. So there's been some really cool things to come out of it. I I do want to uh, elaborate on the point that you made there that uh, you know things will ch change forever. Um, I but before we before we get there. Um, and that and that'll be a point for everybody. But um, I do want to see if there are any more uh, questions in the chat that we should address up uh, until this point. Anything, Robin? Um, yeah, some people have said that they found it helpful to record the unpacking and install and then go back later to take screenshots. So it sounds like people are using kind of all sorts of different technology when it comes to that. Um, there's also just been a couple mentions of some places in California that opened up even briefly, but then got shut down again do what's been happening so that's yeah, kind of please. what's been happening so far everyone please uh, in the chat share your your tools and ideas um as we go along it's uh, it's great to see everyone's input uh and you can always go back through the chat as you review the youtube video in order to uh to see those tips so but <clears throat> as we were saying i wanted to uh to explore this idea about the the industry kind of changed forever um i mean jerry from your point of view like uh, what are some things that uh, you think are just going to become standard uh, as we move forward? Is I mean, I, I mean, I would argue that the virtual installs are going to become pretty standard. Anything else that you can think of? Um, I think just a much more much more level of comfort, as Julia was saying, with our technology and with sharing over these technologies. Um, it's kind of interesting at LACMA. My team is actually split between um, four to five different locations. And that happened not as a result of the pandemic, but as, as a result of a museum move. And now, but in, in tandem with the, the pandemic, um, we've become so much more comfortable with sharing information and sharing information with other people in our museum who can't be on site. And so it, it's like a, it's like kind of like a fish swimming in new water, I guess, you know, we're starting to see how, how easy it is to do things that in the past maybe would have required like somebody to travel across town and come on site. Um, and now we can just share with them, you know, and then, and then, uh, the ability to share information with colleagues has been awesome. So I believe, yeah, it's like a, it's like a new, um, well, a new uh, shift in, in the way we do things. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Would you agree, Kelly, anything uh, you want to add? For sure. I mean, well, onboarding, <laughs> honestly, in a pandemic is, is an interesting experience and there's so many more platforms out there for sharing information and storing information that I'm becoming familiar with 
um, you know, like SharePoint and all these different online platforms where you can make files more accessible. I mean, I, I know that it's, it's almost rattling, especially I'm sure for registrars to go digital with a lot of things. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if everybody remembers this phase, but it's kind of like when we went from Polaroid cameras to digital cameras, <laughs> it took everybody a minute to jump on the bandwagon. Um, Wasn't there something in between those though? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, not not where I was, but maybe we just didn't have the budget. <laughs> we kind of we went from the, the shake it like a Polaroid picture to, uh, <laughs> to downloading from an SD card fairly quickly. Yeah. But you know, it was, it was hard to make that transition and, um, I think it's I think it's important that we do that because we need to we need to find ways to connect better. I mean that's that's one of the reasons I know I started ArtProNet and that I I love this sort of platform and these abilities to talk to people and I've reached out to y'all over the last year and it's it, it's really there's there's not a lot of standardization to some of the different like we all have different titles but we do similar things. Um, so I'm hoping that this last year, even though it was absolutely awful and jarring and, <laughs> and I would never want to repeat it again, brings a lot of good things, though, to us. And the fact that we are more connected and we're talking to each other and we're sharing these ideas and we're sharing the way we do things and maybe streamline a little bit of things so that we can trust each other a little bit more. Because I think that's one of the hard things about these virtual installs that we're talking about is one of the reasons that we would always go there is that we couldn't trust that we could explain ourselves fully to somebody, you know, over an email or over a phone and, and it utilizing these tools, I think could actually lead to that, you know, and, and being able to describe things. And like you said, videotape packing and unpacking and um, you know, actually just show somebody how to do what it is that we need to do and then have it on a platform that's easy for them to access. Um, so, I mean, I think it'll still be a hybrid model because I think there's just some things that, you know, we wouldn't want to send without somebody. But um, especially in contemporary art, I'm sure you guys at LACMA get this. I mean, there's just some pieces that it's hard to explain what the heck it is you're supposed to do. But if you could actually show somebody a video of it or walk them through it, you know, virtually, it, it's, it's a little bit more possible. It seems a little bit more possible. I mean, I would... I would personally argue that um, these changes were all inevitable. I mean, uh, I can say probably four or five years ago, I was supposed to do a courier trip to Houston, MFA Houston. And uh, they asked if, uh, if it was only a couple of works and they asked if I would do, um, do it on, on a video chat. And, uh, and that was purely, I think, a cost uh, measure obviously there was no pandemic but uh, but we did it and it was fine and there you know it was two works that weren't terribly complicated but they had quirks um, and uh, you know it, it was something that made a lot of sense and you know therefore we agreed to it um, but uh, I mean I think that that for example would just just that alone you know hanging a painting I don't care what the value is at the end of the day it's still a painting um, you know you can just uh, supervise that over uh, over video and i think that's going to be extremely commonplace uh going forward uh, i think we just all weren't quite ready for the when that transition was going to happen right so um you know we were forced to, it was forced upon us so um but uh, anyway. yeah please onto that yeah just to expand a little bit on uh kelly you mentioned the word trust and I think this is a big one. I think, you know, we all want to, we all want to think that we're like, we're the best at what we do. And maybe we distrust that another, a team at another institution is going to be able to do it as well. <laughs> what? You're not <laughs> the well best? We, that's why we're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. No, but I, you know, I think that we, this is, this is a, the challenge is for us to, trust our colleagues regardless of where they are, regardless of what um, what size institution that they're working in. And I think that all of the information sharing tools that are being developed, that have been developed in the organizations like ARCS and PACN and ArtProNet are helping to create kind of a standardization of what we do so that 
there's not those surprises. Like, uh, you know, I remember hearing, learning from a colleague that mount makers, and this is, this may be, I have no idea how accurate this is, but that mount makers in China approach the problem of making mounts in the opposite way that mount makers in the U.S. do, that they um, start with the premise that you're putting the mount on the object before it gets attached to the case or the deck or the wall. And so there's, so I think that the more um, standardized and the more information sharing we do across institutions, across, across geography and across our professional silos or, or disciplines, um, the easier it'll be to build that trust. Uh, and then I just also wanted to say, you know, something, a huge thing that I hope doesn't change um, that's come out of the pandemic is increased conversations and more dedication towards diversity, equity, and inclusion in our fields and real um, steps towards action, towards, towards dismantling racism and uh, and bias in our field. So hopefully that will continue after the after the pandemic crisis is over. That that's a an important point. I mean, what are some ways that we can address those issues um, in the midst of this um, this extremely difficult time? Uh, when, you know, one could argue that, okay, well, maybe, you know, we should be doing that, but is it the most important thing right now? We don't have a budget, we, you know, we're not doing exhibitions, you know, I don't, I, I just had to lay off all my staff. How do we address that now uh, at this current time? Yeah, I think the question is really how, how can we not address it now? Um, I think that uh, to your point, you know, there's always going to be there are always going to be other, lots of things competing for our attention, competing for our resources. Um, but I think that all of us, I think something that a lot of us figured out after or came to realize after George Floyd was murdered is that it is on all of us at the individual level, the institutional level, um, and at the level of our entire field to work on this problem. So. Um, I, one thing that struck me when people bring up that question, John, about is this the most important thing or how do we prioritize it with other things? I think that we often think about it as an either or problem. Like we are either thinking, putting energy towards diversity, equity, and inclusion or towards our regular jobs or our day to day, you know, our day to day tasks. And I think it's the wrong way to look at the problem. I think it is, we just need to fold in diversity, equity, and inclusion into everything that we do. And um, which means that like, if you're installing an exhibition, who's assigned to which task, um, just really looking at how, uh, how jobs are assigned, how people are hired uh, and making it a part of your daily work and your daily conversations to make sure that barriers are being broken down and that access is equitable. Yeah, and, and, and it's been proven many times over that uh, the more diverse your staff, I mean, the better results you get. I mean, there's just, there's so much data to support um, the, 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 the diversifying of, of your labor pool that uh, it's, it's, it's hard to ignore at this point. Um, but, um, and I've just, I just, I just saw an article. I didn't get to read it yet, but the blowing up the whole argument about the, the pipeline, you know, it's like, well, this is this, this, these are the people that I have available that I have to hire from. I, you know, and that, that's apparently, you know, been de debunked at this point too. So, um, I think uh, Robin has some uh, some more questions from the the chat. Um, fire away. Yeah, well, there's it was an interesting discussion about just the use of um, mount like iPads versus laptops, which is interesting if anyone want to wants to go back to it about how iPads are a lot easier to use in most cases than laptops when it comes to taking pictures and flipping the camera back and forth. Um, but beyond that, someone posted, we've talked about virtual couriers and ARCS chats, but what else are you having to navigate differently in your work due to COVID? I think a lot for me on, on the 
The first question, I prefer iPads sometimes <laughs> until they run out of juice. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> East Coast, West Coast. East Coast, West Coast. Um, but as far as, as things that I'm having to do differently, I, mine has a lot to do with the flexibility of my schedule. Um, and just the fact that I'm, I, I, I'm isolated to certain places and I have to really plan my time around maximizing my impact wherever it is I can be. You know, if I can go to the warehouse, I need to sit down and come up with the, you know, 12 things that have to happen at the warehouse <laughs> as opposed to. So I, I think that's one thing that's, um, it's been a challenge for me, but it's also helped me. Um, I mean, I'm a planner, but it's also helped me kind of come up with ways to compartmentalize the projects a little bit more, which is, I think has actually been a good thing for me. Um, but in general, that's been the biggest shift because before I would go to work and, you know, sometimes I'd float between three facilities in a day and I'd be around, you know, lots of different people and I'd have meetings while walking, you know, West Wing style. And I've had meetings in rooms and all sorts of different things. So, um, you know, you have to plan just to be around somebody or you have to plan not to be around somebody or you have to like create your bubble and then do your work. And I think that's the biggest shift for me. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but that that's, I, I'm, I'm not quite as, as agile, I don't feel, as I used to be. So I'm hoping that doesn't, that's not one of the new normal things that continues <laughs> extensively. I'm hoping I can get back to being around people. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. I'll jump in and say also that I've noticed um, uh, working at a, a handling level, um, I've had to, you have to understand your teammates and understand their levels of comfort with being close or what sort of protective gear they want to wear. Um, we're not uh, mandated to wear uh, shields when we're working at the moment, but um, I do have coworkers who do want to wear the shields. And sometimes that can uh, you know, cause an issue when you're actually trying to lift a heavy piece and then shields cause a bit of a problem with your perception around you. Sometimes you just have to put it back down, you know, deal with the, the, the situation. And, and you just really have to slow down your process. When in the past, it used to be just, um, you know, you would just put it up on the wall together. And now it's a, a lot more thinking about who you're with and, you know, being much more aware, not only of, of, we're pretty used to being aware of our situation, you know, like the wall and the floor and what we're going to put things down on. But now it's, a, it's like personally aware of the people you're around, which I think is a new dimension that maybe we didn't pay as much of attention before. Yeah. And, and honestly, the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion question is also going to be um, a new part of our normal environment as well. And I think that, you know, given that, uh, you know, everything came to a head with George Floyd. Um, this, this is also going to be uh, something I think, I think we're thinking about all of these issues in a, in a, in a different way than we have before. And, uh, and, it, and it's, and it feels like all of these are an opportunity, whether it's something as I, as, as sort of mundane as iPads versus laptops, all the way to, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, I think that all of these are just going to be, how we operate and um and because it, it's just right there on our on the you know those are those two i mean like virtual couriers and 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 diversity equity inclusion are like the issues of this pandemic right and we we've seen how it affects everybody you know whether it's from layoffs to uh you know travel restrictions so i feel like that is uh it is everything. And just a side note on that, you know, our next uh, ARCS chat in uh, March is going to be with the, uh, what we call the IDEA subcommittee, the in Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, Accessibility uh, subcommittee that we started and, and some of the initiatives that they're um, going to be uh, working on. So, um, you know, it's, it's on the forefront of our minds as well. So, um, and we've seen certain things. I think the Broad, right, has a... Uh, is it the bro that has a, a program for uh, diversifying the art handling uh, staff? Yeah, yeah. The Broad has a program called the Diversity Apprenticeship Program. Um, just got refunded by IMLS for a second three years to continue. Um, it's it's actually a really great model for collaboration. It's the it's the program that partners with the Broad partners with other museums, nonprofit galleries, university galleries, but also um, 
Crozier as a partner, Cinnabar, which is a fabrication company as a partner. Um, they, and then the Los Angeles city government and LA County. So it's, it's government, nonprofit, commercial sector, all collaborating across the county, across the city to provide opportunities for people to learn hands-on how to be an art handler. Um, it's a great program, nine months long, full-time, paid. Um, and so far there have been 16 apprentices to graduate the program. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And actually, just to plug it a little bit more, we are. there will be a toolbox coming out hopefully in April so that, that publishes everything that was learned, all the um, material that was developed for the DAP and, and resources and stuff so that others can replicate the program as well. I think Crozier is about to launch their version of the DAP in New York um, next month. So it's, it's, it's exciting. Simon Hornby, if you're on this uh, chat, chime in. Let us know. We'll uh, we'll call you out. Let you uh, talk. Um, so, uh, what what I had something on my mind. Anyway, uh, there's something uh, in the in the chat going on. Someone want to tell me what's going? Yeah, sure. um, Basically tying into IDEA or DEIA initiatives. Apart from virtual collaboration, are you evaluating companies you work with or seeking other sources for materials to purchase? Absolutely. Uh, we are, yeah, all of those things, supply chain. Um, but Jerry, do you want to talk about this in regards to the working groups that you're on? Because I feel like it's related. Is this a yeah. packing thing or a LACMA yeah. thing? This is more of a LACMA related thing, but yeah, yeah we're, we're, um, we're also uh, taking a strong look at um, our sustainability. Uh, you know, um, we're, thinking about the land that we're on and who, um, who once was on it and who still has, uh, you know, who, who we should be respecting with the land that we're on. And so we've been taking a hard look at like how we use our materials. Um, I've been trying to assess like a lot of collections management to materials that we're used to using and trying to figure out, do we really need to use as much as we're using? Do we need to, uh, you know, uh, collections management uses a lot of uh, non environmentally friendly things, right. And the archival world in general, so we're taking a look at those, trying to assess as much as we can, look into ramping up our recycling, just really taking a look at sustainability as a part of DEAI and understanding how important it is um, to not just think about the social aspect, but also our physical, the, the physical presence that we have on this land. So yeah, it's been interesting to not only think about supply chain, but uh, once it comes to us, where does it go and um, how, how can we make it a little bit better? I mean, we're still gonna be using these materials to some extent, but, you know, um, one, one example is looking at uh, biodegradable, you know, nitrile gloves instead of the uh, standard ones and just little things that we can do um, that would that help in the long run. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, something that's different for an institution the size of LACMA compared to other museums that I've worked in and other museums, you know, smaller museums is that we have a staff of 500 people-ish and um, so many different departments. So the impact that we could make if our institution collaborates across departments uh, and decides on vendors that are local or minority-owned or figures out a a better way to recycle or reuse across department materials instead of throwing them away, uh, the impact is huge. And so it's really exciting to see. I think the committee that Jerry that you're on is works across. There's collaboration across lots of departments. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. We are working with our facilities department now, and um, you know, just trying to loop in as many people as we can into this idea from different departments. So the collaboration is really awesome because there are people who don't actually think about the art handling side of things at our museum because they're focused on a completely other part. And now we're all talking and and realizing that I don't think about the grass clippings at our, our museum, you know? So it's really good to like be uh, uh, having a lot of cross con- um, cross talk as it were to uh, figure this stuff out and then to see how we all can work on this better. Does um, a company's political stance uh, affect any of your decisions? I think rather than political stance, 
we're looking at the human stance. So, um, you know, we can't, we don't, no institution is able to really take one political side or another, but when it comes to issues like, like racism, um, that's, that shouldn't be a political issue. That's an issue of humanity. right? Right. Well, I, yeah, I, I hope it didn't come off as like, I, I don't mean like Democrat, Republican. I, I, you know, I just meant that, you know, they're, but yeah, exactly. The, what you're talking about is, uh, is exactly right. The human stance. And um, so I think that's a better way of uh, articulating it. So uh, anything else happening in the, uh, in the chat that we should uh, be aware of? Not right now, but I'm going to encourage everyone listening to please keep putting questions or comments in the chat while you guys continue the conversation. Yeah, let us know what your uh, what your own institutions are doing in this regard because we're uh, we're we're sort of aggregating our resources and ideas for for everyone here. So uh, please uh, feel free to share. <clears throat> I want to go back to this uh, idea of trust. I think this is going to be sort of the key element going forward. Um, when we did the our first courier um, uh, podcast or arcs chat in December, uh, we had uh, Stephanie from uh, the head registrar at MoMA, she mentioned um, that, you know, MoMA took this this very um, bold stance of saying, we're our basic policy is not going to be, is going to be to not send couriers, right? And for an institution at that tier to make that decision um, for, you know, as the baseline, of course, there are going to be exceptions, but as their baseline was pretty... Um, pretty bold. And then on top of that, that they would entrust the borrowing institution to do condition reports and, and uh, any sort of supervision uh, on the other end, as opposed to say, uh, hiring a, or requiring a contract third party um, uh, con- professional to, to examine and supervise an install. So I thought that was that was a really uh, trusting thing to do. And I don't know if everybody's going to be prepared to do that. Um, Art Institute of Chicago is doing something similar with their, uh, you know, virtual courier program. So I think that um, what are some of the ways that we can continue to engender and also to create this uh, trust uh, between institutions as we move forward? Because we need the trust between departments, we need trust between, you know, institutions as well. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I'll jump in there. I, I think that, and this this actually ties back into, you know, what we're talking about with training programs and that sort of thing. I think it's important that we figure out how to communicate standards a whole lot better. <laughs> and, and you know, for, for lack of a more positive word, harmonize them <laughs> amongst the different institutions across the country. Because I know on trips that I've gone to places there's always something a little bit different about the way each group does things. And it's not, it's not that one's, I mean, a lot of times I learn something new that I actually really enjoy, but I think standardizing some of the baseline expectations and the baseline practices, which you would think that we would have, but in all honesty, we don't, we all have this, our own little tweak on the way we do things, the way we were taught to do things. And and I think that would go a long way to engender trust amongst peace people. Also, you know, the the runway of getting in, the training programs, the way people are initiated, um, you know, we all, I don't know if, if you guys feel this way, but sometimes I feel like we work on little tribes at, at each institution in the way that we, the way that we work. Um, and I think if we take, if, if we uh, open, open up the communication about how we're doing things, standardize it a little bit, and then train the next group of people coming in on those best practices, you know, and just explain to each other how we're doing things a little bit more and collaborate on how things are going to happen and not be quite so, this is how we do things here um, versus that's how those things are done there. I, th- I think that'll go a long way, but I, I think that's where a lot of this trust doesn't come in. It's not that we don't feel the person on the other end of the equation is like, we don't feel that they're professional. We feel that they have less skill than us or anything like that. It's just that it's hard to predict what their expectations are and what their baselines are. And rather than take that chance that they're different than ours, we send somebody with it, you know, just to, you know, take away any question marks and make sure that there's no 
things that we didn't think about. We just go ourselves. Um, so, I mean, that would be in a lot of different arenas of what we're trying to do. You know, as you said, it's not about isolating your time to one particular objective. Um, I think that that could fold in too as well as training people in a little bit more of a broad spectrum of best practices. Well, and art handling and, you know, prep work in general is, uh, what is the ladder? There is no ladder, right? You get trained by your institution or you get sort of, I mean, I, before I was doing collections management work, I was doing art handling, but it was like, dude, uh, I'm in a band, but you know, at the same time, uh, you know, I've worked in, you know, part-time at this gallery and I'll, I'll just show you how to do that. No big deal, whatever. And it was just so informal. And then you eventually, you know, get better at it and you work at better galleries or uh, and eventually you you might get a, a museum gig here and there and and that's how i learned it and uh you know i don't know if there is a more formal way i mean you know collections management's a little bit better because at least we got like museum studies but uh you know so i guess y'all have it uh, especially uh, difficult right <laughs> well we so there are um there are resources out there but it's definitely hard to find free one for art handling. And this is something that the diversity apprenticeship program with the Broad is also addressing um, in collaboration with, you know, consultants from, I mean, you know, some of our, um, some of the experts in our field, like Mark Wommeling, Brent Powell, um, Robert Croker, and uh, John Jacobs, collaborated to help us develop the training program for the Broad. And so as part of the toolbox, that will be available. Those training, it's a combination of uh, online trainings, online modules, and then in-person demonstrations. And But anyway, all of that's going to be available for free online. And um, I think that's going to be an amazing resource to Kelly, to your point of kind of standardizing some things. Uh, and then to build on what you were saying, Kelly, I think communication is something that we all throw around as being this really important, critical, um, critical tool, but rarely do we invest in professional development when it comes to communication skills or talk about the specifics of communication. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about and, and we've been talking about on the prep team at LACMA is talking about what, you know, what are different communication tools, but also styles, preferred methods, like, and as if we're going to build trust and inspire confidence in our colleagues within the institution, but also across institutions, those are the skills that we need to hone on top of the technical skills that we have. And so I feel like if we, if we as um, professional groups like ARCs and PACN also offer those kinds of professional development opportunities or link to them. Like how do you, you know, how do you become a good public speaker or how do you relay complicated information, you know, using language or, or what are the other tools that we have at our disposal? Even just getting back to the basics of whenever you're sending an email, remember that to address the who, what, when, where, and why, or something like that. I think that's something that we could improve on as a field because some of us are better than others. I mean, verbal communication is definitely not typically my strong suit. So, um, yeah, anyway. I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I constantly worry about the succession plan of prep because I also feel like, you know, you were talking, John, about, how you just were in a band and then you worked at a gallery and then it was just kind of this fluid thing where you found yourself. Um, it's, I think it's important that we build not only best practices, but we build more of a structure within our profession as far as expectations around job titles. I mean, we all have this multitude of job titles, but we all do you know, you might be doing prep and collections management, or you might be doing collection management and registration, or you might, you know, I mean, like, because depending on the size of your institution, you have 15 hats to put on. And, but understanding some of those categories a little bit better and standardizing them, but also building a structure for succession and a structure for that learning so that, you know, you don't, 
go from being a, a carpenter in the back of the house where you don't have to engage with anybody in meetings or write any emails really or do anything like that to all of a sudden you're a chief preparator and you, you're thrown into these situations where you have to lead and decision make and structure things and plan a budget and, um, and do all these parts of the job that you're totally capable of, but you've just never had any practice. I mean, there should be some sort of expectation of a ramp up, which, you know, I think the reverse, the reverse structuring of that takes you back to, you know, what is the entry level for our business and what is, where can people come into what we're doing and what is our expectation for that? Because, you know, not to, not to go down another rabbit hole on this one, but I feel like there is quite a bit of uh, higher education expectation and some of our fields and some of our roles that doesn't need to be there. Um, because, you know, if you're looking for that diversity and inclusion and, um, you know, cornucopia of people that we want to divert towards what we're doing, you're going to have to look other places than the usual places. And there's so many talented people out there that have a background in all sorts of things that isn't art that can do what we do really well. So, I, you know, it's, it's unfortunately one of those problems that you start pulling the pedals off and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But um, I think it's really important that we, like you said, look at all of those skills, not just, not just best practices, which, you know, but we need to learn how to speak the same language between institutions. I mean, just down to equipment, um, you go places <laughs> and people call a four wheel dolly, something different, you know, in New York than they do down here or wherever. Um, you know what I mean? It's just like, if we can just find some ways to speak the same language, I think trust would follow as we all understand what we're saying. Um, just side note, uh, dolly in Spanish is un dolly. <laughs> so just just so you know broaden um, my horizons there john <laughs> yeah yeah no no at least in mexico um so i do want to talk more about uh, about expectations and a good point that was brought up in the chat was um you know obviously we're sort of marrying our expectations between our two professions at the moment and you know that continues to happen because we work together all the time in the gallery and such but let's look outside of that that I'll call it a bubble. I'm going to dare to call it a bubble into other people that are going to affect our workflow. And that's, you know, people like curators, for example, because we all have to be on the same page there because, you know, especially now, you know, to, to Jerry's point that he made earlier, every, everyone takes a lot longer to do things now. So we need more and more advanced time and prep and, and the curators, for example, and, uh, and, and exhibition programmers and, and all of this, all the entire team, the entire institution has to be on the same page. So, um, how do we do that, and how do we how do we create a, a a an environment that uh, that you know it's not depart the expectations are not set department by department they're set by the entire institution. Um, any any thoughts on how do we how we address that? I might throw a wrench in here and just say like while I agree with standardizing practices and processes so that we have easier communication. I also just think that, um, you know, I think that those of us in this bubble, registration, art handling, collections management, tend to be people who, you know, think like have a, think there's a right way to do things. We tend to be kind of a little bit more controlling than, than other people. I don't know what um, you're talking about. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to say that, Getting back to the trust thing, I actually feel like we need to take more time to build trust with our colleagues and other departments. Um, and to the DEAI piece too, this is kind of a complicated thing I'm weaving here and it, I'm, it might get lost, so just bear with me. But just to getting to the DEAI thing in which trust is such an important part of making a workplace that's truly inclusive where everyone feels seen and heard. But we also need to recognize that we're not all the same and we're not all the same within our departments, but we don't, we're not, we don't all have the same objectives, even if we have the same mission. So I think there just needs to be more time building those relationships um, across departments, across institutions uh, in order to build 
that trust. And I think that's the only way to do it is just to invest more time. It was something that I have um, at one of my first, at my first job as a head prep, I learned how to work with people that were really different from, from me. And, and um, I'm going to say with some really difficult people, I learned how to work with <laughs> work successfully with some really difficult people. And I think the key, and that has served me really well for the, through my career. And I think it will continue to, um, but I think the key for me is just that we get to know each other. So my strategy has been the people that I have the hardest time with working with or collaborating with because we just don't communicate in the same way or we we just don't have the same communication styles or the same life experience or the same goals. Um, the way that I approach that now is, okay, that's the person that I'm going to become, I'm going to get to know. We're going to have, I'm going to invite to coffee or lunch and get to know this person. Um, and I don't know, I just, I encourage people to take that approach rather than trying to get everyone to fit into our lane or to fit into our mold or our idea of how things should go. You're going to have about 200 mentor requests after that answer. That was amazing. <laughs> Her email is. <laughs> Can I just follow up on, on a little yeah, bit please. as well? So besides the personal um, interactions that we can be fostering with each other, I do think it's also important to encourage people within our department, maybe that we work with, or if you're in any sort of a you know, managing position, to encourage your employees to reach out to others, uh, other types of, uh, just like between ARCs and PACN, or perhaps like AIC, um, to watch, you know, um, watch conferences, uh, presentations, to get an idea of what other professionals are doing that are maybe near you as well as far from you, so that you can understand when you're frustrated because conservation is slowing down something, um, you know, on a on an install or, or whatever, you know why they're doing it and the pressures that they're under. And same with curatorial. And it's so easy to get siloed within this is my day and these things are frustrating and I'm kind of irritated with this other group of people that I don't understand. <laughs> and so, but, but really investing um, a little bit of time into getting your team to understand what other people in your uh, institution are doing as well as like what other people are doing and, you know, in sort of the entire sphere of what we do so that it can be a lot more linear and you can, it gives you more time to have patience or it gives you more thought to have patience. So, yeah. I, and I'd, I'd love to add to that, Jerry, just in that same sort of idea. Um, we need to explain to each other why we make the decisions we make. I think that's a major, uh, thing that we don't do. And people just assume that decisions are made um, because of somebody's desires or somebody's wants. And, and it's, you know, a lot of times it has to just do with the physical realm and how much time there is in the day. So, um, you know, or, or with conservation, the science behind it, or with curatorial, the, the time that it takes to sit down and go through something or the people that need to be talked to. I mean, I think we, it's, I mean, one of the things that's always helped me is to branch out even past that and just understand, you know, publication timelines and catalogs and why photography is needed this far out from, you know, from the production. And it's, it's important that we, that we understand more than just our own job and understand where we fit in the ecosystem because it's a whole lot easier to to not take things personally for lack of a better way to put it because we realize that everybody's making decisions because they're trying to find the best compromise of their time and their quality of life and their ability to complete a project and it's a lot less about personal desire than I think a lot of us would realize if we just only looked at what was right in front of us. Well said. Um, we're getting towards the end here, but I want to go to the questions um, and uh, last one last time and see if there's anything else in the in the chat that we should. Um, there are lots of kudos to Julia for what she said. <laughs> so good job there. Um, kind of along the lines of what you all were saying is that I think you know the fact that we've been caught ourselves in this virtual landscape for so long, we've been able to kind of sneak into a bunch of other webinars and programming and maybe things of 
offices kind of connected to ours that we've been able to learn about that kind of stuff. So I think that was a really good uh, thing to point out. I also put in, it's a strong thumbs up for the idea of a virtual conference slash hybrid conference. So let's keep that in mind for the next year or so, just as long, you know, as the vaccine slowly roll out and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, beyond that, that's pretty much the questions that we've been seeing. Oh, and one other said, um, you know, or even take the time to explain to your colleagues and other departments what the exhibition staff does. If you find yourself kind of having time that you're just doing group chats or getting together and talking about it, it's just more of an educational you know, place to kind of talk about this is what this person does. This is what this person does. Um, kind of virtual shadowing as a way of thinking about it, which could be really useful at all. But beyond that, that's about what was in here. It's been a great chat and it's been fun to keep up with it the entire time. Is like, is virtual shadowing like wearing body cams? Is that what that is? <laughs> I don't know. I just came up with it. So you gotta go pros. I'll be trademarking that. <laughs> there's there's an idea for your, your, your institution's uh, YouTube page, you know, just like a, a body cam or GoPro of your well, installs. Seriously, Nothing can go wrong about, with that. Exactly. <laughs> but we talk about, you know, we often talk about when it comes to raising up the this generation Z and what we do, this is the time to do it, right? They're stuck at home. They're watching these things to kind of show that this is what an art handler does. This is what a collections manager does. You know, doing all these fun little Instagrams. And I keep threatening different groups I work with, with TikToks. <laughs> like just saying, we can get on TikTok. Why not? <laughs> It'll yeah, be exactly. fun. But um, I think it's a way of, of just kind of showing what we do to groups that maybe wouldn't know in a normal and I would like to add on to that. The one thing that I make a big effort to do um, is because I'm the liaison with our, our collections committee. And, um, you know, these individuals volunteer their time and they know about certain aspects of what we do, but they don't necessarily know the nitty gritty day to day. So every collections committee meeting, I have like a slide on the end of our PowerPoint that shows pictures like this is what our prep staff does. This is how they spend their time. This is what registration does. This is how we spend our time. And, you know, I want to highlight the good work of this person and that person and yada, 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 because, you know, these are the people that have the power to make decisions at our organization. They report to the board. Um, if they have an appreciation and understanding of how we spend our time and, and you know, it's good to say, hey, my storage is getting full and you need to come down and see why. How could I possibly acquire, how can we acquire this gift of 3,000 things, you know, stuff like that. So sharing, I mean, like any opportunity I have to land blast people with information, I'm going to do it. But picking those particular groups as well to share with what we do and answer their questions and feel their curiosities is, a, I think, a really good thing. It builds a lot of respect of what employees do, but also shows them how important these individuals are to the organization, which, of course, I completely think is you know vital but they may not realize otherwise how does how your collections committee respond to those uh those sneak peeks um and when they've been able to be on site and actually see things in person i think it has a stronger impact i don't know how strong it is now when we're doing things on a powerpoint slide and everyone's trying to navigate zoom it's gotten better because we've been in this situation for a year now um but when they're able to to actually like experience something and it clicks in their brain it's pretty powerful yeah yeah, because I guess a lot of those those folks are not uh, necessarily too as savvy as you want them to be. Is is that what it is, or they're not? Well, I mean, uh, I think everybody's bringing. Ex I think everyone's bringing good experiences, and we want like we want diverse minds on the collections committee <clears> as we do in any other type of um, structure like that on our board, on other committees, on our staff, yada yada. Um, yeah. So it's it's never like a a negative thing if they don't come with knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Share yeah, they're, everything they're not, I can with them. Yeah, they're not there to be art experts. That's your job, right? So, you, yeah. yes, <laughs> <laughs> we try. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, uh, does anyone have any uh, final thoughts on uh, on anything? Thanks for letting me be a part of this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, this has been amazing and inspiring. And yeah, thanks for the invitation and the conversation, everyone. It was great. Fantastic. So um, again, check out packin.org and artpronet.com because they are, there are some great programs and some great initiatives going on there. Uh, is there anything at Packin that you want to highlight that you're working on at the moment? Um, we are. We're, we're still um, trying to figure out the pandemic uh, craziness for our next conference, which yeah. uh, might not be till 2022. Other than that, we're um, moving forward with Packin chats. So Stay tuned for those. Um, I'm always plugging for people to share their knowledge so that we can, 
you know, keep barriers down and keep participation up. So, yeah. And, and anyone can just uh, submit for a pack and chat? Absolutely. And I would love to have people from, you know, I'd love to have a registrar present. Um, anybody wants to send me a proposal, you know, it'd be great. Um, we're, we're all about inclusivity and getting uh, more things out to more people. So, yes. And, and how, does, uh, how does someone uh, send you a proposal? They can just um, email me directly. Um, it's uh, jerrylanesmith at gmail.com. You can also uh, probably find a way to contact me on packin.org. And, Great. Um, yeah. Everybody, get involved. And, uh, of course, Art Pronet, when's your next uh, chat coming out, your next podcast coming out? Uh, I published one on Sunday. I don't do mine live. I'm not nearly as brave as y'all are. Um, <laughs> I uh, I just put one out on Sunday and started my third season off. And like I said, they're just about anywhere you want to consume podcasts. And they're also on the website. And I'm always looking for guests as well. I love interviewing people from all over the Art Pro community. So um, we've got some different people I'm talking to. I can't unfortunately tell you for sure. Uh, but I we, we like to talk to everybody from, you know, people who work in the for-profit sector, nonprofit sector, conservation, registration, transportation, whatever you are. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to demystify what we do. And also we have our newsletter that comes out every two weeks. So if you are a fan and you were willing to subscribe, uh, you can go on the website and subscribe, subscribe to that. It'll come to your email box, totally free. And now that I'm in LA, I have a SoCal section as far as job posting. So if you are looking for people, it is free to post jobs on there. Just send me an email at connect at artpronet.com and I will put it on there and put it out to everybody who pays attention to me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you all so much for, for joining us and making the time today, uh, Jerry, Julia, Kelly. Uh, this, is, this has been a great chat, and I think there's been a lot of good uh, discussion happening on the YouTube chat as well. So uh, always uh, feel free to go back to that. Um, if you are uh, watching, uh, please don't hesitate to hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel so that you get notifications whenever we go live or, or upload other videos. Uh, usually we release the podcast version of this the following Friday, so look out for that. Uh, you know, the Arcs Chat podcast is on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and Apple podcasts, so uh, find it there. Um, and with that, thank you, everybody. Um, I went on way too long the last time at the end of this thing, so I'm going to cut it off there. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll be back on March 2nd. Go wash Go your hands.